We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. I think where it got me was I got blocked. Dude blocked my dunk. I think it was Gafford. Gafford blocked me. And that's when I was like, I never been, nobody never blocked my dunk. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that woke me up. He's like, okay, these dudes competing, they came to play. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that to where somebody has to throw the first punch at me. It'd be like that sometimes. And my team woke me up. Like, all this coach got on me. Coach Brian got on me. And yeah, I answered. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. We're back this week after two uh, frustrating games to watch. One loss and one win. My name is Mike. Of course, I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. You take what you can get. Uh, The Suns went one and one. I would say six awful quarters and two really good quarters, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's basically a summary of what we saw. The third quarter was okay in the Toronto game as well. You know, there, there was, it wasn't perfect, but there were some flashes where they looked okay. This is Toronto is a team. That's like a real team. I, I think that the Suns kind of went into that game not knowing what to expect. They obviously don't play the Raptors very often, and uh, they really hit their groove. Uh, as we talked about when we previewed the game, they had won 15 of the previous 16 games going into that game. And then, of course, they just kind of steamrolled the Suns with what I would consider some of the best defense I've seen played this year, if not the best by any team because of how athletic, how long they are and how disciplined they are. I think the coaching matters a lot. We we talked, Sam, you and I t- talked briefly about uh, potential best coaches in the league. I think that we left out Nick Nurse. I think he has to be in that conversation at this point. That was a very, very well-oiled machine. Toronto, what did you think? I think no doubt Nick Nurse is in that conversation, and I think we can call it at this point. I was kind of on the fence going in, but the Toronto Raptors might be a championship contender. Yeah. Uh, and I think people have slowly been waking up to that, but you know, I, I think it would have seemed crazy a few weeks ago. If you consider that stupid 
And it really is stupid because it's so arbitrary. But the Phil Jackson rule of if you win 40 games before you lose 20, then you're a contender, right? That's the baseline we've got. Well, Toronto's 41 and 15. If you haven't been paying attention, you know, they've been slowly creeping up in those Eastern Conference standings all season long now. They're now 41 and 15. That's on pace for, uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but maybe upper 50s, close to 60 wins. Uh, And I think specifically with how they played the Suns, you said it best when you were tweeting about the game is that what's so impressive about that team is a the stifling defense but b the fact that they've just somehow assembled an entire roster of players who can attack a closeout a they can shoot but then b they can also drive and attack a closeout and they're more than willing to share the ball and furthermore what's so impressive about that is they did it by finding these raw athletic guys who were just kind of stringy with long arms but didn't actually have any basketball skill like in the late first round or the early second round, because that's where you get these guys. And then they molded them into real basketball players. That's a huge testament to the development of that entire coaching staff, but especially Nick Nurse, uh, as you said. And to do that with guys that are long and athletic, I think that just across the roster, basically everyone outside of uh, Fred Van Vliet and uh, Kyle Lowry, they're, they're two point guards. Everyone is long and athletic on that team outside of those two guys. And their ability to recover to shooters is incredible. As, as well as the, see, the modern offenses, modern offenses are based on slash and kick principles. The We talked a lot about it at the beginning of the season with the Suns point five offense, uh, which was predicated on only one person being under the three-point line at any time. That's not, that's that's all teams, basically. Every team is looking to have one person rolling and then surround them with shooters. The thing is, is <laughs> there's not, with like the Suns, for example, if you put the Suns on the perimeter, you surrounded everyone maybe outside of DeAndre Ayton on the perimeter, how many guys could catch the ball and then legitimately drive into traffic and either attack the rim or find other shooters on the perimeter after a closeout? Right. Not many. And and we saw that happen in that Toronto game where Toronto actually blocked five three-point attempts against the Phoenix Suns because there's there's just such confusion on what to do. Cam Johnson is a great example. Cam Johnson right now can hit the three, open. He can shoot fast, and he's tall enough to get it over most defenders. But what happens if the defense actually gets to him? In most scenarios, he kicks it out to another guy on the perimeter. If he was on the Raptors, right, a year from now, two years from now, if they develop under that Raptors system, all of a sudden he's pump faking, driving to the rim and kicking it out to another wide-open shooter or getting a contested layup at the rim. If you can do that with all five of the players on the floor the way the Raptors can, it's almost impossible to defend, especially when they have the speed and the strength to attack over and over and over again. I watch that team and I just think there's no flaws. I know we're not this is a Suns podcast technically, but I just <laughs> I looked at the Toronto Raptors and I just could not find a flaw. I, I you can say maybe top end talent because that's what it takes to get to the NBA finals. Uh, but Pascal Siakam kind of looks like a top-end guy, especially against the Suns. That probably helps a little bit. Uh, but his averages are there this season, and if he can be healthy, I know some of the numbers dipped when he was coming back from injury, but if he can be healthy at the end of the season, I'll say this. I looked at the Toronto odds to make the NBA Finals, and they're plus 900, plus 900. I think they're playing better than a team that is at plus 900 to win the Eastern Conference. I'll say that. Now, of course, there's always the Bucks. Uh, yeah. They're looming. Uh, but I just don't see them as a team that is as versatile as the Toronto Raptors in my mind. I, I think they play one way and they play that way really, 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 really well. But you know how the playoffs work. Everything gets a little jumbled. Everything gets a little out of sorts when it comes to the plan, the game plan every night. And it's up to your team to make adjustments. And if you can have, it's kind of like the Detroit Pistons when they won the NBA Finals. If you can have the team that makes the best adjust, adjustments defensively, uh, you can make the NBA Finals. And I just found myself, I could just easily picture Toronto, if they if they remain healthy, making it to the NBA Finals. And I think the Suns really had no chance in that game to get back to it. Yeah, I, I think they can push Milwaukee. I don't think they can beat Milwaukee yet. I mean, like I said, they are a contender, but I do think the betting odds are where they are because of... Uh, the notion that right. top-end talent kind of is going to win out in the end, and with Giannis presumably maybe being the MVP, that's where that comes from. But yeah, with the Raptors, I mean, look, we're spending time talking about them. Why it's relevant to the Suns is because you want to learn from this, and you want to apply right. some of these concepts. And if you can get Mikhail Bridges and Kelly Oubre to where Pascal Siakam and um, Ananobi are a year from now, or two years from now, then obviously mm-hmm. that's a huge win. And I think both of them have a long way to go. I mean, 
they're built the same way. It's the same archetype of player. It's these long players with their wingspans, and they're able to play the passing lanes. And, you know, Ananobi and Bridges are both smart team defenders as well. But Ananobi can really attack closeouts in a way that Mikhail Bridges is slowly getting mm-hmm. a little bit better at, but he's he's just not there yet. Uh, and specifically what I've seen with Mikhail, like, I, I really do want to give him credit because I think he's doing a good job of kind of jab-stepping and then a one or two dribble drive and then the pull-up mid-range. He's actually yeah. developed kind of a good mid-range shot. He doesn't break it out often, but but maybe once or occasionally twice a game. You can't uh, but block it, that's for sure. He you can't sh- block it because of those high. long arms. But he's not an explosive finisher. He's just not yet. He's been very good at cutting to the basket, but when he's driving by himself, he's he's still a straight-line drive guy to the rim, and he's not really going to finish over the top of anybody, and maybe he never will. And you could talk about how that potentially caps his ceiling. But ideally, he's got the playmaking uh, ability to drive to the rim and then kick out to other guys. He can do what the types of guys are doing uh, in the Raptors system. With Kelly... He very much can finish over the top of anybody. He just needs to pass. And that's the difference between Mm -hmm. him and a guy like Siakam and will continue to be the difference. Kelly is very close to being an all-star caliber talent. He's got all the talent there. Um, For him, it's just a a mindset thing. And I don't know if he's ever going to reach the proper mindset there either. Yeah, I don't don't know. It's odd when when Kelly runs a pick and roll, which does happen. Uh, every once in a while, especially if Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio are off the floor and Kelly Oubre is on the floor, it's not really a pick and roll. It's just set a screen for a guy attacking the basket. There's no <laughs> yeah. chance of him hitting a shooter on on the kick. It's it's a slash with no kick. Uh, so it's it's difficult for him to find guys, and I think that's the next stage of his development. If he doesn't spend this summer working on a pick and roll game, working on finding other guys, that's a problem. And I will say wings tend to develop that skill later in their career if they're not a natural passer the way someone like Luka Doncic or LeBron James is coming into the league. Uh, We all know the story with Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard, his playmaking uh, has progressed year over year over year over year, last year being the sort of pinnacle of his playmaking so far. And then this year, of course, uh, when he does play, he still has that ability uh, to make those plays. And I think the same thing with Paul George, his teammate, it takes time to, to develop that part of your game when you're that big and it's just not common for you uh, to be that playmaker. So that's something you can hope, but you just haven't seen any of it this season. Next season, I think Kelly Oubre, if he wants to be a max player, if he wants to make that max level money, he has to show that that's something that can develop. Uh, now, I'm not saying that he has to come into the league next season and all of a sudden be an excellent passer. But he has to show a willingness to actually work on it and improve at it. Because if he can go to three assists next year, up from whatever it is now, 1.2 or two assists uh, this season, if he can go to three, maybe a little over three next season, that'll go a long ways for him. Because then it could just show if it's possible. If it's not possible, then I don't know what you're willing to pay someone like Kelly Oubre if that just will never, ever come. At least that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, I think there's still a solid chance that someone's out there in 2021 creates all this cap space strikes out on Giannis and Brad Beal and Jimmy Butler and whoever else and sees Kelly Oubre still there yeah. <laughs> at the ends of the pile and still throws yeah. him 25 million Atlanta. a year yeah I don't know if that's going to be the Suns or not but but it's very much a possibility I don't think he necessarily needs the playmaking um to get there yeah uh, and we'll see yeah that's a good point because the cap space in the market dictates how much you're eligible or actually able to get not necessarily your worth uh market is everything uh, after the Toronto game, which was ugly and had some flashes of actual good play for a while there, uh, there was the Chicago Bulls game, which was almost just as frustrating, even though uh, it was a completely different team. And that's because Chicago was missing a lot of players. Now, I will say this. Chicago was missing a lot of players, but how, how many of them were actually good at basketball? Uh, not not a lot of them. Let's just say that. They're just down to like a not deep bench. And the Suns came into that game and they did not play very well in that first half. The first quarter started off well, as it tends to do when they have those five NBA players that the Suns have on the court, sharing the court together. And then as Devin Booker came out of the game, as DeAndre Ayton became a focus of the offense in that second quarter, things really came off the rails and it looked pretty ugly. They got it back together in the in the second half and they looked like a real team and uh, started playing like we expect them to play on a day-to-day basis. What did you think of that Chicago game? Yeah, the first half, um, well, I think you have to consider why the first half frustrated you, first of all. 
Uh, so, you know, I'm going to turn it back around on you because I think I might have a different answer. Why was it frustrating to you? Well, I think a couple things. So I think what was especially frustrating for me was the Suns trying to work the offense through DeAndre Ayton in the second quarter and him just sort of fumbling the ball into the other team's hands. He had uh, five turnovers in the first half alone and they were all really bad (laughs) you know they were just essentially him holding the ball right in the in the in the place where the defenders can swipe at it and then basically taking the ball away from him and then live ball turnovers turn into buckets on the other end uh which are really ugly especially because a chicago team if you can slow them down if you can actually play defense in a half court uh scenario they were not well equipped to score let's just say that with the personnel that they had on the team i think that it can be very very frustrating to watch the team try and run the offense through DeAndre Ayton when he's clearly not ready for it, in, in my mind. But what, what did you think? Why was it frustrating for you? Or was it frustrating for you? No, I mean, it was frustrating to an extent. Look, I don't like seeing DeAndre Ayton drop pass after pass. He looked like Alex Len out there. It was an ugly sight. He had maybe four or five turnovers in the second quarter alone. Uh, that being said, I think this is necessary growing pains. And I would be a hypocrite, based on what I've said this season— uh, and how much I've wanted DeAndre Ayton to dribble. I was criticizing him a, a few weeks ago for being a guy who statistically, at least at that point, was dribbling less often than Rudy Gobert, and saying that the ceiling of this guy, who you picked number one overall, who's always going to be tied to Luka Doncic, whether we like it or not, that ceiling is capped if he's afraid to dribble. So this is the natural outcome of that. I mean, I think he looked bad in the first half, but I think eventually the strategy proved fruitful. And what I mean by that is in the second half, The Bulls' entire strategy was they weren't just hedging, they were trapping or blitzing the pick-and-roll on both Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker. They were really trying to force those guys to the sideline, sending two uh, men at them. Uh, And the reason they wanted to do that is because they saw what DeAndre Ayton was doing, fumbling the ball in the first half. They Mm -hmm. wanted to put him in the decision-maker role at the elbow. They wanted to force a pass into him from the high post and have him turn it over. Uh, Aiton, I think, did actually pretty well handling those decisions uh, in the second half. And I think where he can ultimately make the Suns' offense unstoppable. Because already, the net ratings show that you put Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Aiton together on the court at the same time. And that trio in particular is very good for a number of reasons. But I think Mm -hmm. how you can take it from good to unstoppable is if you make it so that even if you trap Ricky Rubio or Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton is comfortable running up to get that high post positioning, you give the ball to him in the elbow, two of the defenders are already taken out of the play because they're they're off guarding the guard, and all Ayton has to worry about is the help side defender in front of him, who's presumably going to be a smaller guy, not a big man. All he has to do at that point, be comfortable passing or be comfortable putting the ball on the floor and making a move to the basket. And if he gets to the point where he's comfortable doing that, and you can no longer trap against Rubio or Booker because you have to worry about DeAndre Ayton's role, the Suns' offense is unstoppable. So I think we're going to have games like this. Mm -hmm. It's going to be frustrating watching a second-year big turn it over five or six or seven times a game, but I'd much rather have that than a zero-turnover game where he doesn't take a single dribble and maybe he takes 20 or 22 shots and half of those are are mid-range shots that aren't efficient shots you know i think it's it's just something that in the long run is going to be beneficial for the suns and i'm willing to live with it i definitely understand that and i think we're at the point of the season where what's the point of any of these games without uh, some sort of effort to develop players uh i just think the difference i think a lot from from the first half to the second half is a lot of what he did to kill the chicago bulls in the second half was with Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker on the floor when you take both of those guys out and try to make him the focus of the defense now whether that be with Kelly Oubre on the floor or the stretch where uh, there was no Kelly Oubre on the floor that becomes really difficult for him he's just not quite the decision maker yet uh, to make those decisions fast and I think that you're probably right you have to do this and you can look at this film now and actually coach based on this the decisions he made and hopefully the next time it go, comes, it goes a little better. Um, that that should be the focus. I do want to read a quote from Gina Mizell. She wrote a story in The Athletic about uh, Mikhail Bridges. And this is a quote from Mikhail Bridges about Aiton. He said, I told Aiton, we play off that. Every night, Book's going to score. He's going to do his thing. That's not where we get that juice from. That's just who he is. He's going to score every time. When you dominate like that on both ends, being a beast, going up, dunking the ball... 
getting in the post, not always shooting the fadeaway. Hit him in the chest. <laughs> now that they, now they don't want to play you. Now they have. Now you have the jump shot. We feed off that. It sounds like us, right? <laughs> if he just keeps Literally. that mentality, it's going to do wonders for us. He says that sounds like every Suns fan basically uh, on Twitter or you know, on Reddit Mikhail complaining Bridges about DeAndre Eaton. Such a treasure to have. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like Mark West. There's there's classic uh, Mark. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark Jackson actually in the face of Patrick Ewing and other players too, because he's played with multiple stars, just kind of screaming at them, telling them to get to work. And uh, and that's kind of what DeAndre Ayton needs. He needs his teammates to fire him up like that because uh, the Chicago Bulls game is a great example. He just seemed out of sorts a lot in the first half. And then there's just this stretch in the third quarter and then in the fourth quarter as well where right. it's just like, he becomes a beast and and he absolutely sure. blows you away with what he's capable of. And that's how he ends the game with 28 points and 19 rebounds yeah. in a game where he really played like shit in two quarters. <laughs> I mean, this is what it is. And this is why the potential is there for him to be such a great player. And that's why there's a lot of people out there that talked about uh, DeAndre in, in, in national media the last, uh, the last week. But what do you think about all that? Yeah. Well, uh, about the Bridges quote or about yeah, performance any of it, or, really. or which one? Well, obviously, I love the Bridges quote. And I said that at the time because, yeah, Mikhail Bridges sounds a lot like all of us. And I would put good money on him um, being an effective coach one day. And I don't know, we, we've said this about Mikhail before, but he's going to be in the league for a very long time. Um, with Aiton, uh, I need to mention, too, that, you know, it's not just about him playing with Ricky Rubio uh, and Devin Booker. Uh, and being uh, better in those decision-making opportunities in the fourth quarter. It's also that when he gets fired up, he really is one of the best rebounders in the NBA. I mean, he's right up there with Andre Drummond sometimes gobbling him up. Uh, it's it's like you said, he has to get in that mentality first. But he had 10 offensive rebounds against the mm. Chicago Bulls. And, you know, I know he was playing against guys like, uh, who is he even playing? Uh, Daniel Gafford was their starting center in this one, or or Felicio. But even so, to have 10 offensive rebounds in any game uh, yeah. is just extraordinary. And that also is how he got up to 28 points. So uh, credit credit to him for that one as well. Yeah, I was uh, very impressed with him as the game sort of rolled on. And it just makes you think, he, what does it take to get this out of him on a day-to-day basis? Just to sort of illustrate the importance of Aiton playing well. Uh, for the Phoenix Suns, I did just sort of sort his games by plus minus on a on a game to game basis, and I know that's not super telling, but uh, the numbers just added up in an interesting way. When Aiton has a zero or a positive plus minus, so either he's just a wash or a positive plus minus, the Suns are ten and two. Uh, when he has a negative plus minus, even just minus one, the Suns are one and twelve. Uh, yeah, that's right. So positive or zero, ten and two, negative one and twelve. Now. This is very similar for Devin Booker. This is partially because the Suns bench is terrible that the starters have to just kind of really beat teams to win games. And ideally, they're up there like plus 10 or something like that to to, to really win a game. I'm sure as it gets higher uh, that those wins uh, get a lot more there. But it's just really hard. And, And that's why it's important for him to be engaged from the beginning of the game, do you think there's something that the coaching staff can even do to ensure that he's engaged? Or is this just how it's going to be as he's young and developing? We just get these stretches where he dominates and then times where he doesn't. Yeah, I, I can't say for sure because he's 21, 22 years old. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times that just comes with maturity. But given all of the interviews he gives right now, you can see the goofiness come out of him. You can see him continue. Like, he knows... He knows how much we complain about the fact that he hasn't taken a three yet, right? And then he'll still make jokes. If the Suns win a game and he's played well, he's going to be on a Dwayne Rankin video saying, <laughs> Ayo, Ricky, let me shoot the three. Like, he's trying to piss us off by doing that because he's a troll. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I don't think that that's something that's going to change anytime soon. I think that's just his sense of humor. <laughs> you live with it. And um, it's going to be really fun to watch when the Suns are doing well. Um, I do just also want to say that I think it's a really tough ask to ask DeAndre Ayton to be an effective... Now, granted, I don't want him to turn the ball over every possession, but mm-hmm. it's hard for him to lead the second unit right now. Like, to stick him out there with Ty Jerome and yeah. Cam Johnson right. and, and, and guys like that and really ask him to lead that unit to any sort of productive offense. Right. I debated whether I wanted to go into this episode picking on any particular player off the bench because they've all kind of been bad. 
Um, Ty Jerome was a special, a special level of bad against Chicago, and you don't immediately see it um, <laughs> in the box score because it's not necessarily all of the things he did as much as it's the things he can't do yet. Mm-hmm. He had zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, and one turnover in six minutes. He only played six minutes. He was a minus 14 um, in six minutes, and it was that point in the early second quarter when the Suns were at their worst. Um, I, I think with Ty, what it is a lot now is you notice just instantly, it's kind of what you said a couple months ago, how, first of all, when he's on defense, uh, the opposing team, their eyes light up. Uh, Kobe White's mm-hmm. eyes were, were mm-hmm. lighting up at the opportunity to take on Ty Jerome, and that's how he scored some of his buckets in the first half. But on the other end of things, um, it's so easy to pressure Ty Jerome and kind of make him uncomfortable to the point where he can't he can't run your offense. Um, and, you know, there was one example, he was playing on the court at the same time as Devin Booker in the second quarter. And what the Suns were doing a lot yesterday is they were running a lot of uh, floppy action, which is where you put your two bigs kind of at the opposite ends of the low post and have them set down screens for your wings. Um, and so coming off one side of the down screen was Devin Booker, coming off the other side was Cam Johnson, and they were going to run to the two sides of the wings, right? Except... With the Bulls placing so much defensive focus on Devin Booker, the Bulls got lost, and both guys followed Booker, and that left Cam Johnson wide open. Mm-hmm. Kobe White, who's not a particularly long point guard, he's maybe got a six-five wingspan, was able to cover up Ty Jerome's line of sight and effectively funnel him in the wrong direction so that mm-hmm. he couldn't make the wide-open pass to Cam Johnson for a three. And he forced a pass into Booker. And it was fine because Booker got fouled on that possession. But this is the sort of stuff that I'm talking about adds up over time. Ty just doesn't have, you know, some guys are able to overcome those those physical attributes. And to this point, he hasn't been able to do that. It's been far too easy to bully him. Um, and I do think that'll come with time. But going back to the original point, it's just hard for DeAndre Ayton to work with that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's not an NBA level point guard right now. It's a G right. League caliber point right. guard right now. And to ask DeAndre Ayton, who isn't very comfortable dribbling in the first place, to try and lead a unit like that to good offense in the second quarter, it's just a losing scenario. And and the sooner that the Suns can bring in a bench point guard who is even replacement level, because the guys are working with right now are arguably below replacement level. I think maybe Javon Carter has a good argument for the contrary. But other than that are are pretty much below replacement level. Um, yeah. it's just it's too tough. I think that Javon Carter, when when he's good in a game, is good. But there are games where he's just useless. You, you can't play him at all. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, this is a dilemma. I can't imagine the conversation that Monty had with James Jones after the uh, trade deadline. <laughs> like, hey, I what do you expect me to do here? Um, I guess it's developing Ty Jerome. Because I thought it was odd that Ty Jerome came off the bench first in both of these games. That seems like scheduled development minutes to me. <laughs> that doesn't seem like... He's earned those minutes. It seems like they're just trying to schedule some development there and uh, and see how they do. I do want to ask you something that has been popping up. I think it's more on Reddit than anywhere else that I've seen. Uh, this this concept, this notion that, that DeAndre Ayton is missed rolling to the rim by both Ricky Rubio and Devin, Devin Booker often throughout a game do you, do you think that that's a real thing no i way. think that it's i think that no it's way. completely overblown in fact i think of this clip there's this clip that it always makes me think of because i think i think oftentimes people watching the games are unaware of how difficult some of the passes that they're asking these guys to make are and how they are being careful to not turn the ball over uh, by passing over guys with long arms like some somebody like pascal siakam that can easily intercept a pass if it's not pinpoint accurate uh, there's this clip of when uh, Steve Nash and Dwight Howard were playing together on the Lakers uh, where Steve Nash was doing his sort of hockey dribble behind the basket. And uh, there was two defenders between him and Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard was just standing there calling for the ball under the basket over and over and over again. And Steve Nash just sort of fell out of bounds because he was being doubled by two defenders. No ability to get it to Dwight Howard. And Steve Nash, always calm, always the best teammate for the first time ever. <laughs> yells at Dwight Howard after that possession is over, saying something to the effect of, how the hell was I supposed to get you the ball? There was two defenders between you and me. Move to a place that allows me to give you the ball, then I can give it to you. I think oftentimes people don't realize how difficult some of the passes are. Maybe he is running to the rim uh, and he is briefly open for a minute, but oftentimes so are guys in the corners or so are guys off pin downs going up to the top. So is Devin Booker uh, open on the wing sometimes. I think a lot of those passes are 
open because the defense is in a place that makes it difficult to make that pass, and that's the reason that they're open. So I think it's completely overblown, but what do you think? This is the beauty of statistics, is that I don't have to think. I can know. (laughs) I can know. And I just Mm -hmm. looked up. I was still listening to what you said, but I just looked up. (laughs) Don't worry. The paint touches, uh, which is a stat that NBA.com tracks. They track everything these days. And you can look. Who do you think leads the NBA in paint touches per game? Michael V. Hill. I know the answer. It's DeAndre Ayton. Yes. By two. He averages Mm -hmm. 14 paint touches per game. Second place in the whole league is Clint Capella at 12. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's your answer right there. Like, I think, you know, a lot of Suns fans grew up with seven seconds or less. And I think they they watched the highlight. They watched the highlight reels of Nash and Amari. And yes. Amari slipping screens and and getting getting the pocket pass and they kind and of Steve Nash making impossible passes over and right over again. and you Look may, easy you, may, you maybe develop this notion that that's what basketball offense should look like that that it should be that every time and it's just impossible to do that every time. Yeah. Here's the good yeah. news um, too because we were just talking about DeAndre Ayton's turnovers. I think those turnovers are when you put him in a position to to kind of. Uh, like I said, give him an elbow touch and have him do something from that point. But usually he's not fumbling the ball when he receives a pocket pass like he was yesterday. That is very much an outlier, I think, for DeAndre Ayton to receive a pocket pass on the pick and roll and to turn it over. And because I'm looking right now, they have a turnover percentage for all these guys here. You can look at how often they turn over the ball when they receive it in the paint. And Ayton, at least of these top guys, he's lower turnover percentage than Clint Capella. Uh, lower than Andre Drummond, lower than Rudy Gobert, lower than Tristan Thompson. Um, he's higher than than a couple guys here too. But of the guys who receive the most touches in the paint in the mm-hmm. NBA, he's doing pretty well overall. This is not. Uh, I can't even think of a great example for someone who fumbles a lot of passes. I already used Alex. Lynn, Alex so Lynn, I don't wanna, you just gotta I, hit him again. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to hit him twice in one episode because I still like Alex Lynn. But but that sort of player, you know, he's that's was very much uh, an outlier for DeAndre. But yeah, yeah, definitely false narrative. He receives the ball plenty. Like, this is not... It wasn't even a thing last year when people said it about Igor, but now it's definitely not a thing. Yeah. I agree with that. I think... uh, And if you really want to point fingers at somebody... Last season, I thought the finger should have been pointed at DeAndre Ayton a lot of the times. I think this season, he's being used properly, and... um, I'm not saying that there are not times where he that he gets missed on a roll that's open, but I think oftentimes uh, many of those would turn into turnovers before they turn into assists. By the way, I looked up to see how many players had 10 offensive rebounds so far this season. Only four. DeAndre Ayton, Andre Drummond, Clint Capella, and Tristan Thompson. It's basically a list of the best rebounders in the NBA. Clint Capella has done it twice. The highest scoring were both Andre Drummond and DeAndre Ayton, who also had 28 points with that, every other guy had over 20 rebounds in those games. DeAndre in 19 could have easily gotten more there. The ball just didn't bounce his way towards the end of that game. Uh, DeAndre Ayton just had an interesting week. I do want to just quickly mention this, and then we'll get to player of the week, uh, Sam. Uh, Dan Devine wrote about the Phoenix Suns, focusing yeah. on yeah, uh, he did. DeAndre Ayton. Lots of praise, lots of interesting uh, oh. conversations on that. Porn. Zach Lowe. It was porn. <laughs> it was Can exactly, I read it? It was clips, too. Yeah, go ahead. Can I read it? I Because I took an excerpt from this one. If you haven't read Dan Devine's article yet, don't worry, because I'm just going to read you the porn of it right he's now. He's also a great, he's a great writer. He is record. a great writer, and you should go support all of the writers at The Ringer, because now that they've been acquired by Spotify, yeah, right. we don't know if the writers right. of The Ringer are going to last for much longer. We'll see, Mr. Simmons. But he's a good one. He's a good one, and he does his best to cover the whole league, and he wrote porn, erotica, on DeAndre Ayton, and I'm going to read it to you now. He said, this is the validation that you've been looking for all season long. He said, Ayton is showing more patience before jumping for a block, staying down on fakes, and trusting in both his length and athleticism to alter shots. He's getting better at playing both the ball handler and the role man in the two-man game, taking away easy dump-offs for dunks and making the dribbler show his cards before reaching in to deflect a pass or mm. leaping to contest a shot. He's shown great footwork in closing out and tracking drivers into the lane, as well as the fluidity to either stay in front on switches or shadow movements as opponents angle toward the paint, snuffing out their shot attempts before they get to the glass. Look at how descriptive it is. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what you've been looking for. And, you know, he's a great writer. That's basically the meat 
of the piece right there, what he was most excited about with DeAndre Ayton. But it's exactly, I think, what we've all been looking for. Um, I think for the past that Suns fans weeks. can tell when they're reading someone who's watching the Suns and when they're reading someone who's not. And that's clearly someone who is watching the Suns. He's describing what we have been trying to put into words and doing it very eloquently, I think. And he did a great job. The other person who covered uh, DeAndre Ayton a lot in the last week was Zach Lowe, who featured him in a 10 Things column, uh, talking about him being better at defense. Uh, Zach Lowe, afraid to call him a good defender yet. I, I think he's he's saying that he's much improved. Um and then on his podcast, Sam, you haven't heard it yet. You need to go listen to this. It's the one with uh, Chris Herring, I believe, from 538. He names DeAndre Ayton the number one player he's looking forward to watching for the rest of the season. And uh, for all the same reasons uh, that Dan Devine talked about there, all of the uh, reasons on defense, the improvements on defense. But then he talked about, interestingly, his offensive development and, and what kind of player that DeAndre Ayton can be and should be in order to really maximize uh, his place in the NBA. He talked about his ability to uh, make passes. He talked about his hands. He talked about him catching uh, near the rim. He talked about the lobs. He talked about his gravity on the pick and rolls. And he just talked about maybe he doesn't need to be an absolute expert at all that, but if he can become a well-rounded player where he's good at every aspect of that, he he maybe he won't be a Jokic, maybe he won't be a Clinton Capella, but somewhere in between, uh, which will make him an excellent player. So if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and listen to it. But one thing I want to say, here's Conspiracy Theory, NBA Deep State. We need to have some music when we do Conspiracy Theories, by the way. Some sort of NBA Deep State uh, music. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and find something. Uh, I think that referees read stuff, and I think that referees listen to podcasts as well. I think that they are fans of the league as much as other NBA players are, or um, in in a sense, like a lot of actual fans are. And I think that if they're trying to follow the entire league, they're probably going to listen to podcasts like uh, Zach Lowe. And that means that if referees are hearing from one of the most brilliant minds in the NBA that DeAndre Ayton is maybe actually kind of good at defense now, maybe they're not going to blow the whistle as quickly as they have been in the past for DeAndre Ayton. I don't know if there's a way to, if there's some sort of advanced stats to track this, some sort of Zach Lowe analytics, uh, but... I have a feeling that this is how reputation... A lot of people talk about the reputation with the refs needs to change. My NBA deep state conspiracy theory is that this type of positive media attention will have a bigger impact on it than a lot of other things can have on that type of reputation with the refs. What do you think of my conspiracy theory? I don't know if I'd go that far. I hope you're right. But I will say at the core of the issue, there are opinion leaders and there are opinion followers. Zach Lowe is one of the most influential opinion leaders in the sport. And the rest of us mere sheeple on Twitter follow whatever he says and believe it. Yeah. And yep. so I think this is this really is how the reputation this is how things change for us folks. This is how the bandwagon gets built. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to start noticing more Suns fans next year. I hope yeah. I hope if this sort of stuff continues, you know, it needs to be deserved praise. Zach Lowe isn't going to go out of his way to praise a DeAndre Ayton that's slacking off on defense and and shooting right. 18-foot right. turnaround jumpers, but if he actually sees it, uh, you know, uh, there are there are far more fans of the league who aren't going to watch a full Suns game all season long, but who will listen to Zach Lowe's podcast exactly. and their opinions will be influenced by this Including sort of thing. Including the referees. <laughs> yeah. And you might see the narrative start to change on Twitter. Yeah. You might see it start to change on Reddit. I don't right. know if I don't want to promise you people the referees like my co-host is doing. I don't know if that's <laughs> going to happen so soon, um, but hopefully it does. All right. Let's get to player of the week this week. Player of the Week has no theme song because none of you have sent me one, and there is no sponsor because we do not have a sponsor. So if you want to send a theme song for Player of the Week, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or on Reddit, and we'll give you the ability to send us a theme song, however you'd like to do it, as long as it's less than like 20 seconds long, or if you want to sponsor it. Yeah. If you'd like to sponsor us, please. Just like cash app us $20 or something. And uh, and we'll just read whatever you want before before the player of the week segment. Yeah, that's Chaz right. Roberts. I know you're out there. <laughs> I know you have the budget to sponsor this podcast. That's right. 
That's right. You don't have the budget to, to film a commercial, but you got the budget for this podcast. So if anyone it's, can yeah. hit us up, uh, I would love for Chaz Roberts to be the first local advertiser that we have for this podcast. Just putting that right. out there in the air now. And I gave you a cheap option, $20. That's like only $10 for each of us. And and uh, yeah, it, I'm not going to give away exactly how many people listen to this podcast, but there will be people that listen to it. I can guarantee that. All right, player of the week. I chose one that's very easy. It's Jonah Bolden. And I'm just going to say this. Just just give him a contract till the end of the season. Like One of these guys is going to get injured again. We need some backup big men. Uh, Aaron Baines is not ready yet. He, he, he looks like he's going to take a little bit of time to get back into shape here. Uh, Dario Saric just kind of not playing anymore. He played five minutes, less than five minutes in the first half of the Chicago game. His little five-minute stint was replaced by Jonah Bolden in the second half. That means that in a game where you need to win, Monty Williams is now trusting Jonah Bolden more than he is Dario Saric. And I just think that if, you're gonna, if you have the trust of your coach, and if you seem to be doing well without making a ton of mistakes... Just just give him a contract. We need that depth. Um, I, I, I don't really see anyone else out there that can take up that spot. And uh, I've liked what I've seen so far in the limited minutes that we've seen. Do you think we should keep Jonah Bolden, Sam? Absolutely. All right. That's easy. Jonah Bolden. <laughs> to let, me, let me continue. Jonah Bolden. Okay. Do we want to embark on a challenge? Jonah Bolden played six combined minutes this week. Okay. Can we stretch out this segment? So that we talk about Jonah Bolden on our podcast for longer than he played in some games. <laughs> I'm going to say that we have definitely done that before. We have done o- that before. For other players. <laughs> I'm going to say that we definitely have. But I don't think we, I don't think we need to <laughs> in this episode. We, I think we could feel okay moving on to your player of the week. All right, fine. My player of the week is a guy y'all have been hating on for a while. Okay, Ricky Rubio had a good week, and we need to talk about it. He wasn't like the main reason that they won yesterday or anything. Like he wasn't the main guy. Obviously, Booker's still the best player. Aiden had a couple good games, but but Rubio had 13 points, nine assists, and four steals against Toronto. The night after, in a back to back, old man Ricky Rubio played 35 minutes, which he hasn't been doing much this season, and he had 18 points, seven rebounds, 11 assists, two steals. Pay your respects. Uh, because he had a good week and, and we need to talk about it. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think he's been, uh, I think he has been unfairly maligned. I think is probably the best, uh, way to say that. Uh, I think it's easy, easy to point at this starting five and it's almost impossible to criticize four of them because they're still young and developing. And when you look at, well, who's going to take the heat if that starting five is not closing out the game for you perfectly, it's probably going to be the guy that is on uh, maybe the shortest possible deal other than Kelly Oubre uh, and maybe won't be with the team the longest. And Ricky Rubio takes a lot of flack there. I think he's done really well uh, leading this team in a lot of ways. And I think there were very few options that the Suns had to fill that role with anyone better. And I think he's done a good job. So I think he's been unfairly maligned and I'm still a fan and it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I am also a long haired Spanish man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at the box score yesterday cause I was curious. It felt to me like the Suns were missing a lot of Rubio looks. Um, a lot of looks that Rubio created. Sorry. That's what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. And it's true. He had 27 potential assists yesterday, and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's just any shot that could have gone in but but didn't, uh, and the ones that actually mm-hmm. became assists as well. It's all of them combined. So he had 27 potential assists. He averages 16 per game on the season. No player in the NBA averages more than 19 per game. That's LeBron James. And Rubio had 27, and the Suns only converted 11 because they actually missed quite a good amount of wide-open shots, and Aiton was bobbling passes, and all of the things that we were talking about when we covered that Chicago game earlier in this episode. Um, but Rubio's penetration paired with Booker and Aiton, we know he has his limitations, and we know mm-hmm. that uh, by himself, he, <laughs> he can look kind of useless at, at times. Um, but paired with those two, the effect is, it's indisputable what he does for the Suns' offense. Yep. I definitely agree with that. I also think that um, it's smart for him to look for his shot early. I know it can be kind of ugly to see, even when it goes in, uh, but I do think that opens up his playmaking a lot as well, as uh, I, th- I believe Brendan pointed out on Twitter, Brendan Clean, uh, friend of the podcast. So 
Let's get to a pre-recorded segment here this week in Suns history, and then we'll be back after that with a brand new segment. Plus, we will, of course, preview this week's games. We'll be right back. This week in Suns history. On February 25th, 1988, the Phoenix Suns traded Larry Nance to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Mark West, Ty Corbin, three picks, one of which became Dan Marley, and a rookie point guard named Kevin Johnson. This was arguably the most impactful trade in Suns history. Nance had led the Suns in win shares for each of the previous five seasons when he was traded, and he had played 487 games for the Suns, which put him at fifth on the Suns' total career games leaderboard at the time. Amazingly, however, three of the players for whom he was traded ended up passing him in games played for Phoenix. Mark West who had 543, is 10th all-time in the leaderboard. Dan Marley, 595, is 8th. And Kevin Johnson, 683, is 4th. This trade is one of the rare instances of a win-win. Nance went on to have a long, successful finish to his career with the Cavs, while the Suns got two future Ring of Honor members and a stalwart role player. Big thanks to Cody James Hunt. For researching this week in Suns history, follow Cody at C-O underscore D-Hunt on Twitter. All right, big shout out again to Cody for helping us out with that segment. All right, we have a brand new segment that I'd like to debut on this episode that I wish I would have thought of earlier. It is called, This is Why the Ratings Are Down. Now, the ratings are down <laughs> across the board, according to a lot of people for national games. Uh, the NBA has been sort of scrambling to try and figure out what to do to fix the ratings uh, with the NBA. So now we will take a segment whenever we'd like to sort of blame something <laughs> for why the ratings are down. This week, my This Is Why the Ratings Are Down goes to both Mark Cuban and the referees in the NBA. I'm going to go ahead and read some tweets from Mark Cuban. All right, this was 23 hours ago. Just when you think the NBA officiating can't get any worse, guess again. This is absurd. Next tweet. So they call a goaltend. They literally blew the whistle that it was a goaltend. There was a putback after the whistle. After the review, they said no goaltend, but count the basket. What the fuck is that? That's NBA (laughs) officiating. This is Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. But wait, there's more. One of the refs told us it was an inadvertent whistle. So it was not goaltending. Doesn't matter that the people stopped. They thought, it was, they thought the whistle came after the putback, so the basket counted. So what were they reviewing if it wasn't a goaltend? And of course, there's more. Refs have bad games. Crews have bad games. But this isn't a single game issue. This is the same shit that has been going on for 20 years. Hire former refs who think they know how to hire, train, and manage. Realize two, two years later, they can't. Repeat. This is Mark Cuban giving his business acumen advice to the NBA here. And this is where he starts to name names. In the past 12 years, it's been Ronnie Nunn, Don Vaden, Bob Delaney, and now Monty McCutcheon. What do they all have in common? You know the definition of insanity? I think he's saying, by the way, what do they all have in common? I think he's saying they all suck at refereeing (laughs) (laughs) with that uh, question there. I... Uh, the fine hasn't been announced yet, right? No, really and it's going to be massive. It's going to be massive. And the Mavericks have now appealed the end of that game with the NBA. Now, there's two things, a few things on that that I want to get to. But just to explain what happened real quick, uh, there was a inadvertent whistle for a goaltend towards the end of the game. And then uh, I believe John Collins from the Hawks tipped it in after that whistle. Uh, Cuban is mad because they counted that bucket, even though everyone on the Mavericks stopped when that whistle went off. It is completely insane that they did that. He's right. Uh, and I think, uh, trying to like actually file a complaint with the NBA is probably going to go nowhere. There's no real point. I understand why he wants to do it, but this is why the ratings are down. Well, one, we have an owner complaining about the referees 
on the biggest possible platform that you can have. Mark Cuban has 7.7 million followers on Twitter. Do you know how many the Phoenix Suns have? Like 1.1 million. (laughs) This is seven times the reach of the Phoenix Suns by themselves. And this guy has reached far beyond just NBA fans because of his television personality exploits uh, with Shark Tank. That means we have an owner complaining about NBA refs. And then, of course, the referee is making a legitimate mistake. Probably the complaint comes legitimately. But both of those things together, in my opinion, are why the ratings are down. But, Sam, I do want to ask you, are the refs worse this year than in previous years? No. (laughs) You really don't think so? I don't... I, I don't know. I mean, we're we're doing this conversation fresh off. You watched the Lakers-Celtics game today, yes, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there was, I didn't watch the game. There was some controversy there in the final yeah. minute mm-hmm. as well, as as far as I know. So I think it's unfortunate that a lot of this has happened in, in big games. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's been any worse than any other year. I think what's been frustrating from a fan perspective is that the challenge system hasn't really helped at all. <laughs> yeah. It's and just made it more frustrating. It's only made it more frustrating because coaches don't know when to challenge because they have no idea the logic that's really being applied to overturn stuff. Um, Monty Williams has been spectacularly bad at that, by, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, <laughs> the worst in the NBA. The worst the chal- in the NBA. The challenge system. This is why the ratings are down? Question mark? <laughs> right. <laughs> challenge. It, fr- it frustrates the hell out of fans because I agree with you. Why are the ratings down? Refs are, um, sorry, fans are frustrated at refs. But why else are the ratings down? Because fans are frustrated at uh whistle fests in the yeah. final couple minutes of games and stoppages right, right, right. of play and things that slow it down to a crawl and the other thing that slows it down to a crawl is by trying to uh increase the quality of the refereeing they've added these 5 minute long instant replay reviews mm-hmm. that have have only contributed to the problem so i don't know yes. I, I think it's other things i think i'll be honest with you i didn't know this segment was about the league as a whole so i fucked it up i did why why are the ratings down relative to the suns like <laughs> no why, it could be why? about whatever we want it to okay, be about. So, Sam, that's so the best, best part about it being our podcast here whatever we want it to be about we can make it about that'll be that'll be mine but just as long as we're talking about the nba as a whole like you know i think it's just i think the refereeing is okay i think fans just like if you listen to this podcast you're not a casual fan and mm-hmm. i think it's hard to put yourself into the casual mindset Casual fans really like super teams, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they can't necessarily take it. You know, but plus all the cord cutting, obviously, but they can't necessarily take it when there isn't just a guaranteed two teams that are going to meet in the finals. Um, well, I think parity yeah, is bad for the NBA. I agree with that, but I I think that the amplification of the referees' mistakes by the and other employees of the NBA. Just make it look so so much worse. And I, just two examples of that. One, of course, being Mark Cuban doing this on Twitter to his seven point seven million followers. But today, as well, uh, Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy just going insane over a potential pinky of Anthony Davis that touched the ball as it rolled out out of bounds, which, in my opinion, was not definitive in any way because it was just a blurry shot from an angle where the pinky could look like it's touching the ball or not. It's not from above. It's not from below. It's from in front. I don't know if they know how perspective works, but there's no way of knowing for sure that it's touching the ball from that angle. And and to me, this is this this sort of amplification of those mistakes make it worse for casual fans. I think so, someone like me understands a lot of this, and I hope I understand a lot of it. I do feel like I have been frustrated with the refs more this season than in previous seasons, and that could be a reflection of me and who I am more than of the referees. But I just think that I, I I've complained more about them now. Uh, than I have before, so it's just the I I don't know if they're worse or is that or better or what is it? I'm because I'm trying to think about your relationship to referees as a Suns fan. Is it because you feel like the Suns have star players now in a sense, like maybe not be. quite star players, and and you know it made sense when Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe weren't getting superstar calls, but Devin Booker should be and he's not. Does yeah. that does that have any part in it, or are we truly talking about neutral games? It could be any team. No, I think I think that that actually I have been frustrated with refs just watching neutral games as well. So I don't know, I don't know. Maybe may, I think a lot of it has to do with there being a lot of new refs in the league. I think it's difficult positions to fill. But maybe Mark Cuban's on to something. Maybe it has to do with their hiring process and the decision makers that they use for that. And obviously, it got to a boiling point enough with Mark Cuban that he felt the need to vent his frustrations 
on, on a platform like that where he knew that it was going to be probably a million dollar fine or something ridiculous like that after right, it comes all out. He, he can afford it and he will continue to do it. I do like, I know that you're, you're, you're sort of shifting here, but I do like the conversation that you had here before this podcast, <laughs> before we started recording, I started this podcast with saying, Sam, how many times are we going to have to come on this podcast and talk about the backup point guard position and what Monty's supposed to do with Elia Kobo, Javon Carter, and Ty Jerome. <laughs> and you, and this is why this is your, this is why the ratings are down. So I do want you to still talk about that. So yeah. So I mean, why are the Suns on pace for a better season and ratings are down? Right. That's that's the core of the issue. Why we have had games, and I think it got a little bit better. Fans are always happier after a win, but after that Toronto loss the other night, you had a, a large portion, myself included, of Suns Twitter that was talking about free agency. Uh, and it's February. I don't know if you've checked your calendars, but it's still February. It's not July. It's not even June or May. Uh, so to be talking about free agency and the draft and things like that this far out, um, things that we're going to start talking about on this podcast, I think, within the next couple of weeks, because I think that's what people want us to talk about. And overall, I think the reason for all of this is just because you don't want a team to lay all of its cards out on the table at once. You know, it's not necessarily just in sports. It's in any facet of life. You always want something to be left to the imagination yeah a variable there's no mystery with this team anymore you know and as a diehard fan myself like looking at the rest of the games for the season right now the things i'm most excited about um is seeing deandre ayton develop just like zach lowe wants to see that um Mm -hmm. and i think you know seeing guys like mikhail bridges and cam johnson you know some of the younger players on this team put in interesting situations that maybe they haven't been put into before seeing if we can suss out any development out of those guys but i feel like I have a pretty good idea of who Dario Saric is. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of who Aaron Baines is mm-hmm. and Ricky Rubio and even Devin Booker at this point, honestly. And when you have a team full of guys like that, the, the mystery is just kind of dead. And, right. you know, people are going to start fantasizing about how they can improve this roster uh, in the summer, especially when reports are already coming out that the Suns are not necessarily interested in re-signing Baines or Saric. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like... James Jones is focusing on that, and that that is his job, of course, but I think so much of the rest of the season comes down to development, and if uh, some casual Suns fans drop off the radar because of that, it's not a surprise. It's That's really not a surprise. How much fun is it to watch that type of development that we talked about with DeAndre Ayton catching the ball on the high post and trying to learn how to be the number one option or the, the creator of offense for himself and for others, which resulted in seven turnovers, one of his highest turnover games uh, of his career so far. That's not super, super fun to watch. Or how much fun is it to watch Ty Jerome come in first off the bench and make a ton of mistakes over and over and over again? Not necessarily super, super fun. So I guess... Uh, for the Suns, not making a trade at the trade deadline. That's that's why the ratings are down. For what it's <laughs> worth, also, it's not just the ratings. It's, um, I mean... Attendance? Yeah, it's it's not down. But you would think that, you know, if the Suns went from the 30th best team in the NBA to the 18th best team in the NBA, that maybe that would reflect in the attendance as well. You guys listening at home, anyone who lives in Phoenix probably knows more about this than I do. I don't know exactly what the situation is with the arena, how overpriced the seats are, the concessions and all that. But the Suns were 29th in attendance last year. They're 27th this year. (laughs) They've added about 300 fans per game is the increase in attendance that we've seen. So Mm -hmm. it just hasn't happened yet. Um, the, The city has not woken up. Yeah, it's gonna take a it's gonna take a lot more than than what they have so far uh, for that to happen. DeAndre Ayton's gonna have to look like a, a surefire all, future All Star, which it's possible that by the beginning of next season, if the development is linear, which it's not, but it's possible that he will look like that uh, going forward. Let's talk about upcoming games this week. There's four of them. A busy week for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, four of them before we record again. It is at Utah, and then there's a I think a six game homestand, uh, which includes three games this week: Clippers, Detroit, and Golden State. Utah, in the way that we talked about Toronto hitting their groove, something similar is happening with Utah. Uh, Utah is playing very well lately. Of course, they got torched by Russell Westbrook, as is tradition in Utah, uh, but. That doesn't necessarily mean anything for the Phoenix Suns. I'm not overly confident about that game. How do you feel about it, Sam? Yeah, I'm never overly confident for whatever reason about the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz. But yeah, I always look forward in Utah. to... 
Yeah, especially in Utah. But I think, you know, if, if Suns fans want to ride the narrative that DeAndre Ayton is a changed player now, um, he still has his highs and his lows. But I think any game against Rudy Gobert is a, a good game to challenge that uh, narrative. Um, it's a little bit scary thinking about it, you know, in case Gobert holds him to six points on 30% right. shooting, because that's definitely <laughs> a possibility. It's happened but, before. And it has happened before, but I think we need to challenge him in that way, obviously, and having him go up against Gobert is, is hopefully we see something out of that. Yep, that's right. Uh, next game, another another tough one, uh, the Clippers, and that's at home, which isn't necessarily great, as the Suns do have a better record currently on the road than they do at home. Maybe, <laughs> that's maybe so partially, crazy. That's yeah. so crazy. Yeah. Uh, only a few teams have, have done that so far this season, the Suns being one of them. Uh, that's the Clippers. The Clippers, it, you never know who's playing with the Clippers. It could be a fully healthy team with Paul George, with Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Paul George has been playing lately. Maybe he has. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Clippers and, <laughs> took a chance to uh, to rest some players against the Suns in that game. I don't think that makes yeah. it much easier for the Phoenix Suns. Of course, they did beat the Clippers early in the season, but I think they are probably a little more uh, used to playing with each other at this point than they were in the third game of the season when the, the Suns beat them early on. Another game not so confident about, I'm assuming you feel the same. Uh, yeah, well, it really just depends on who plays. Paul George uh, is day-to-day right now, um, and so is Patrick Beverly. <laughs> so I think if those two guys are playing or not playing, it's it's a big difference. Um, uh, look, Patrick I'm Beverly a- moves the needle on that team. Uh, they he have does. a much better record when he plays than when he doesn't. I believe it's a winning record when he plays and a losing record when he doesn't. Uh, so it, it makes a massive difference for that team. Maybe just coincidence, maybe just noise, but... Um, I don't know. He, I, I, you know how we feel about Patrick Beverly. We've talked about him before in this podcast, but uh, that's probably an L, I would guess. Well, yeah, I think it could go either way. You remember the? Uh, it's probably an L. Who am I kidding? But you remember we beat <laughs> them at the at the start of the season. That was without Paul George. Um, but the Suns have not had the chance to really be. And I know they're still missing Frank Kaminsky, but but they're basically fully healthy now. Um, and so I do have just a little bit more confidence uh, in them as a collective unit going into any game. Maybe not so much against another championship contender like the Clippers, but in these final two games of the week, uh, really the Suns should should win those games or else they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last two games, Detroit and Golden State. Detroit has been pilfered. Uh, they're not quite the same as when the Suns played Detroit previously. No Andre Drum- Drummond, no Reggie Jackson. By the way, Reggie Jackson will be probably available for that Clippers game. Um, and then of course, Golden State, who is just so bad, <laughs> so, so bad, uh, and on purpose, basically. I mean, um, Dragon Bender will be on the team. Wow. And Marquise uh, Chris, what a game. The return of Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris together against the Suns here in Phoenix. I might have to go to that one. That, that might be the one that I end up going to, uh, this week <laughs> just to see the return of those two guys. Who's- those should be W's. They should win those games. Who's the second best player on the Warriors after Andrew Wiggins? Because they got they got rid of D'Angelo well, Russell. Draymond. Oh yeah, what am I saying? Okay, Draymond's who's number the, one? What am I saying? What am I saying? Who's the third best player after Draymond and Andrew Wiggins? It's got to be. Pa- I like Eric Pascal, and I know he's a rookie, but I like him. I, I think he's going to be a good player, and 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 that's how bad they are, though. <laughs> yeah, right? Is it like Damian Lee? Does he have like Jeremy Pargo cooked the Suns in the last game? Oh that God, was, dude, Jeremy Pargo is 33 years old. He hasn't uh-huh. played in the NBA since 2012, and then he randomly shows up on the Warriors <laughs> in, in 2020? This is the world that we live in. <laughs> let, me lo- let me look that up real quick, because I was like, I saw pa- the name Pargo on the back of the jersey when, when the Warriors played the Suns just before the All-Star break. I was like, uh, well, yeah. who? Like, I, mean, I was they, like, I thought there was a third some players, Pargo brother. They traded some players. They had no one on the roster for a while, and uh, you know they got rid of Alec Burks for no one. So, you know, you're trading a roster spot for an empty roster spot. They had to sign guys, and they, they just kind of went to uh, the Euro League and the G League and filled out their roster, and they don't care if they win any games for the rest of the season. The irony, it is the Oakland curse, right? They moved from Oakland to San Francisco. This is the first season in their new arena, and they're awful. They're absolutely awful. I will say this. Uh, Steph Curry's supposed to be back March 1st, so I'm glad we dodged that bullet. <sighs> Here's what I'm going to say. Do you want me to end this episode on a depressing note? Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds sounds on brand for us. If uh, <laughs> when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson come back, mm-hmm. I think you'd be hard pressed to, to find a former son that Suns fans uh, hate at least 
who isn't in a better situation than they would be in Phoenix. Marcus Morris just went to the Clippers. Markeith Morris went to the Lakers. Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris will be with the Warriors with a healthy Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, at least uh, eventually, right, theoretically. TJ Warren's on the Pacers. They're a playoff team. Josh Jackson's on the Grizzlies. They're a playoff team. DeAnthony Melton's on the Grizzlies. They're a playoff team. Well, Trevor Reason's on the Portland Trailblazers. I don't know if he counts. Thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> we always yeah. have Trevor. Reba. It's just it's just kind of crazy when you go really go around the league and and kind of point out the names. Hmm. Yep. This is the this we're all leading to this being another one of those high pressure summers uh, for James Jones, but I think even more than before. Bledsoe uh, on the Bucks too. Yep, Bledsoe on the Bucks playing really well for that team and one of the best teams of all time by net rating. So. Mm. Very, very interesting. <laughs> Do we have anything else before we end this one, Sam? <laughs> we, no, I think we sufficiently bummed everyone out, and we wonder right. why the fucking ratings are down. It's because of assholes like us. Um, <laughs> thanks for sticking with us, guys. We'll we'll talk to you throughout the week. And uh, you know what? We'll cheer you up. Uh, next week, I think we're going to start thinking about the draft. Uh, oh, maybe, no. maybe do a little preliminary discussion on who the Suns can pass on with their first-round pick. <laughs> In June. When they trade it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.